Father in heaven, I ask that you would open up the eyes of our hearts today. And Lord, I pray that we would receive from you. God, I, I pray if there's one that doesn't know you, that you draw them by the power of your spirit. And Lord, we pray that you would be glorified this day and in the days ahead. To God be the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You have your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter two, Revelation, chapter two. And this is our ninth anniversary today. And um, as we look at our ninth anniversary uh, and as we uh, reflect back on what God has done really nine years ago is when we started public worship and um, we before that we met for a few months in a home actually and uh, many of you may may or may not know this but we actually started off in Lantana we were called the church at Lantana and we met in a home for a little while and then we went to the school and that's kind of when we went public which was nine years ago today and uh, we met there and then went to Briar Hill and middle school after one year and we were there for three years and then we came to our current facility and now we've been here for almost five years. And so it's kind of the journey that God has brought us on. Uh, but even more than that, I'm excited that, that there have been eight people that have left our church and gone and planted churches. Uh, there are uh, now three families that are on the ground, three missionaries that we have that we're, uh, we have that have come out of the body of Rock Point and are serving on the field now. Uh, there are over 400 children that are being sponsored. Uh, but can I tell you this? I believe that God's greatest glory is still yet to be shown uh, through the body of Rock Point. And so I want us to talk about that. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm actually going to preach a little bit today, okay? I'm, I'm not even going to try to hide it. Uh, I, I'm going to preach, okay? And so I know some of you are going, oh, great. And, uh, but I just want to go ahead and share that with you right up front. As we look at the book of Revelation, as we look at our study, when we started it with chapter 2, after we did chapter 1, it started with the churches. And um, really, those churches can be identified, in my opinion, in one of these five manners. As a matter of fact, almost every church can be identified in one of these five manners. First of all, there are, there are mission churches, churches that are on mission, about the mission that God has given them. And for us, what God has given us is taken from the great commandment and the great commission. And it's loving God with all that we are while making more. And better followers of Christ. That's why we exist. That's our purpose of why we exist. And we do that through receiving, uh, through impacting and equipping and sending people out. But it's the mission that God has given us. And every church has to decide what their mission, how, what are their, what's going to be their focus. Are they going to be about the mission or are they going to be about something else? Because uh, we'll look at today at the church of Thyatira. It was a great church. It was doing lots of things, lots of great deeds. Uh, lots of great things about this church, but it, it had be, be what I, it had become what I would call really ministry focus, not mission focus. Now, ministry is a great thing, and ministry should be a part of mission, but it's not your mission. When we begin to minister to those in our body and minister to those who are sick and have needs, that's that's a big part of what we do. But it's not the ultimate mission. You say, well, what is the mission? Well, I just told you what it was. And also, I would tell you that Jesus told us what it was. Matter of fact, in every each and every one of the Gospels, as Jesus gets toward the end of his life, and matter of fact, for a lot of these after Jesus died, this was a mission when he came back and he gave it to the disciples, when he gave it to his followers. We see in Matthew 28, 19, 28, 19, he says, go and make disciples and baptize them 
and Matthew. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, the last chapter, he says, go into the world and preach the good news to all creation. In Luke chapter 24, verse 47, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. John chapter 20, verse 22, peace be with you as the Father, as I sent you, so am I sending you. He talks about the mission, the purpose for which he came and the purpose for which his church would endure. So there's the mission. Then there's the ministry. And then some churches and some of some some people become the moralist or the legalist. It's about keeping the law. It's about making sure our behavior is right and appropriate. And you can get so wrapped up in behavior and legalism that that becomes the focus of your church. And then from there, it's a real short step to maintenance. You know what? We're just going to keep what we got. Let's just maintain everything. You know what? I think we're at a good size right now. I think we're, we've got things going. Let's just maintain. Let's just try to keep everybody happy. We're just going to be in maintenance mode. And that never works, okay? Maintenance mode means you're headed to the monument stage, okay? Uh, because just guess what? We're not going to keep you all happy. Some of you are going to move. Some of you are going to pass away. And some of you are just going to get mad, okay? You're going to get mad because it's not growing because it grew too much or because the person who used to sit on your right is not there anymore or the person on your left you wish they would go somewhere else. And so, you know, there's no such thing as maintenance, all right? So then the, your next step is the monument. And you just talk about, I remember... I remember when we planted. <laughs> I remember when we used to see people accept Christ. I remember the good old days. Matter of fact, you know what? There's plenty of room in here for everybody. Now, where is everybody? You just become the monument. And, um, you know, I was, I had the opportunity to, to, to do a little travel in Europe earlier. And I, I remember when I was in Sweden and we'd go in these great, these great big churches, these great cathedrals. And I remember asking this guy, I said, what, um, like if I wanted to come back and go to church on some Sunday morning, what time of service? He goes, I don't think we actually do services. We just pretty much do tours now. That's what we do. They're like weddings and funerals. But I don't. I, I, let me check. Let me go find out if they have any kind of church. Service. I thought that was a bad sign uh, that the guy who gave tours didn't know if they had church on Sunday morning. That, that's not a good sign. That is definitely in the monument category at, at that point. And that's not what we want to be about. You know, if you went back and this is Ron's classification, by the way, I haven't seen any scholars do this. So uh don't write it down and, and try to sell it. But I think you could classify these churches that we've looked at. Uh, number The first church that we looked at, Ephesus, uh, who was, was a great, strong church in the past, and, um, but, and they were certainly moralists. They certainly had good doctrine. Uh, they, they despised false doctrine, and they didn't let it exist in their church. But Jesus says, you've lost your first love. You've lost your love for me, and you've lost your love for one another. And so they had become a great moralist church. Then you move on and you see Smyrna. This is this is a church of which there is no reproof, no recre- no correction. That in the church of Philadelphia, their church on mission. They are still loving God and loving others. They are still about the business, even though they are in persecution about the mission of the church. So there is no correction. There, it's a mission church. And then you see the next one. You see Pergamum, which had become in my opinion, to that maintenance mentality. And uh, they, had a, they had had a great past, but now that through fear and through other reasons, they were just maintaining and they weren't really impacting and they had allowed false doctrines to slip, slip into their body as well. And then Thyatira that we'll read about today, 
he starts off and he says, look, there's some great things happening. There's some great ministries happening at this church. You are really doing some great ministries with one another. You've got a great Bible school program. Uh, you've got uh, some great uh, ministry to shut-ins. And you've got all these great programs that are going on here. But let me tell you, you've allowed Jezebel, you've allowed this bad doctrine to come in the church. And you're ministry different, but you're not being mission-driven. Okay? And then we see uh, Sardis. The last church, and we won't really talk a lot about that today, Sardis in chapter 3, and you see right off, he says, you're dead. It looks like on the outside that you got a great, nice building, everything's looked great at the outside, but you're a dead church. You are a monument. So we see church, churches that are mission-driven, ministry-driven, morally-driven, maintenance-driven, and monument, which also... Another M, mausoleum, you did at that point. That's where it leads to. And we have to decide as believers, where do we fit in to that category as well? Who are we and what are we about as followers of Christ? What impact are we making? Let's look at our text here today and let's read about our text here in chapter 2. Of the book of Revelation, the church of Thyatira, beginning with the 18th verse. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. And this is a reference to Daniel, by the way. And there's a lot of Old Testament references given in in, uh, the book of Revelation, by the way, that assumes that the reader would know. And it's not necessarily told why it's referred to in that manner, but there are many different Old Testament references as Jesus is talking. So those the people at that time would have clearly understood this message. They are a people looking for hope and looking uh, to be prepared for what is coming. And the future will be difficult for many of them. And Jesus is preparing them, saying, you've got to address some issues. And he starts off with Thyatira saying, look, I know your deeds. You have love. It's the actually the exact opposite of the church of Ephesus. The church of Ephesus didn't have love. It, it had great doctrine, but not great love. And he says to the church of Thyatira, he says, look, you've got great deeds. You've got love. You've got faith. You've got service. You've got perseverance. So I've got some positive things to say. But you've got great ministries occurring in your church. You're very ministry minded as a church. And what you're doing now, you're, you're doing more than you did in the past. So you're growing in your ministry. You're growing in your deeds. And I want to affirm that. I want to tell you that's great and that's terrific. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess by teaching, by her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. Now, let's stop for just a moment there. Now, first of all, who's Jezebel? Well, if you go back to the book of First Kings, uh, particularly in chapter 22 on, you'll see the story of a, a wicked king named Ahab. And Ahab uh, had married Jezebel, who was a uh, woman, matter of fact, uh, from not far from this area, actually. And she uh, was a, she was a worshiper of Baal uh, at that time. And that was kind of the, the chief god of that area uh, at that time. And so uh, Ahab marries her probably for political reasons. And when he brings Jezebel uh, into his home, uh, into his nation, she begins a systematic, uh, basically, overthrow 
of uh, the religious establishment of that day, of getting rid of all the prophets of God, of Yahweh God, seeking to kill Elisha and rid the nation of God's prophets and to install her own prophets. As a matter of fact, she puts over a thousand of them on the payroll. And so she basically is trying to wipe out uh, the followers of Yahweh. And she's basically trying to remove their faith and replace it with Baalism. Well, of course, uh, the worship of Baal included sacrifices, meat sacrifices, which they could participate. Uh, it was also financially lucrative for the government as they would pay their, quote, tithes and their money. And sexual immorality was involved. Uh, sex was actually a part of that worship establishment uh, many times. And so a lot of people loved to go to church at that point, particularly men. All right. And so they would come and, and it was just a complete obliteration of everything that God stood for. And so he's making a reference to her. So this woman is probably not literally named Jezebel, but she has the same characteristics. This is a metaphor uh, for Jezebel. And he's, he's using strong language that they would have understood. And he said, look, you're allowing her to lead a small group. You're allowing her to teach class. You're allowing her to have influence. You've got to deal with that. You've got to deal because what she's teaching is cancer for your congregation. It's cancer for the church. It's cancer for the reputation of God. And yes, you're doing a lot of great things over here, but you've got to deal with this issue. It can't be Jesus plus, as we talked about last week, and you've got to deal with it. And so uh, Jesus uses very strong language because he recognizes the potential of this church and what this church can do. But he says, look, you're allowing this to occur. I've given her a time to repent. I, I have withheld my judgment. And I want you to know I am giving her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely until they what? Repent of their ways. There's no repentance. Now, you know, a lot of times uh, people will say, well, when do you deal with it? When do you deal with people's sin? Like particularly as a leadership, as, as an elder board, sometimes we have to deal with certain situations in the church. And when do you do it? When you don't. And uh, people have a myriad of ideas how it ought to occur. I'll never forget this one lady uh, came to me and she said, you know, I think y'all need to go talk to so-and-so. I said, really? What should we talk to him about? And she said, that lady drinks. I said, what does she drink? <laughs> And um, and what she you know and, and let me say this I don't drink okay so this is not a this is not a, a message about alcohol we can do that some other day okay that's not what this is about and so don't get all offended either way okay we can talk about that later but the purpose of this is she had decided that the elders need to go confront this person because they drink you know it was interesting to me we talked about it for a while and I said you know let, let's first of all talk about the real issue here what what is it you're really disturbed and as you find out that wasn't the real issue matter of fact we found out just a couple weeks later that this lady was having an affair uh but for some reason it became real easy to point a finger okay so when do we do it do we do we address it when people gossip do we do it when um when people uh say things that aren't true when people abuse substances when when should we go and this is a question that, that we get asked and this is a difficult one by the way and let me tell you, this is kind of the criteria that you want to use. First of all, if someone is embarrassed by their sin or if somebody, uh, they're not proud of their sin, then we usually don't, as an elder board, go marching up there and say something. What you do is in this situation, when somebody becomes proud of their sin, when they begin to propagate their sin, when they begin to express it and to spread it, then you have to deal with it. 
whether it be doctrine or whether it be substance abuse or, or whether it be immorality, when people are not ashamed of their sin, when they don't see a problem with it, then that's when we have to go. When they begin to spread that, then you got to go, you, hey, look, we all sin in here. Lord, I mean, somebody, somebody, you, we'd have to every week, every day, we'd have to go, okay, your turn, all right, now my turn. And let's, you know, let's all get in a line and we'll do confession. And then I'll have to do confession to some of you, you know, and we'll just have to go through the line. So we're, we're all sinners. The question is, are you proud of it? Are you trying uh, to, den- are you trying to, to uh, excuse it, so to speak, and to say that it's okay? And is it affecting the body of Christ? Then we have to deal with it. And that's what he's saying right there. He's not saying everybody else is perfect. He said, look, you've got a situation where they're proud of it and they're using it to spread this message. And so that's exactly what's occurred here. And, and they haven't dealt with it. And he says, now, look, I, I, I've got some strong words here. I'm going to strike the children dead. And he's talking about the followers. He said, those of you who insist on going this way, then all the churches will know that I am the one who is omniscient, who searches the hearts and the mind, and I will pay each of you according to your deeds. Now, I'll say the rest of you in Thyatira, to you not to hold on to the teachings that, excuse me, now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, you who do not hold on to her teachings and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you, only hold to what you have learned. So he's saying right there, he said, look, um, some of you aren't participating in this, and some of you know that. He goes, I want you to stand firm, and I want you to stand strong. There's, there's not some hidden message that you've met, missed. Matter of fact, any time someone comes to you, even today, and says, look, there's a little extra book. You probably missed this. You probably don't know about this. You know, I've been studying. I've got this additional revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about there. That's the same spirit. He said, don't listen to that. That's not truth. That is bad doctrine. That is heresy. When you start adding to, well, maybe you hear somebody on TV. Well, God told me something. I can't tell you exactly everything that he told me. It's a secret. It's only for me, but I can tell you this. I can tell you what you need to do. Those deeper things, and he calls it of Satan, that people use to manipulate the word of God and to manipulate the body of Christ you know, it's we like to think, you know, but at least we don't deal with those doctrine issues anymore in our church. I mean, those people were crazy. They were always getting into that wild doctrine stuff. I don't even get it. You know, what what kind of person would do that? Can I tell you, we were about four months into our church, about probably four or five months in our church. And I was visiting with Brian Blendon, who was uh, who's one of our church guys who planted he used to be our associate pastor. And he uh, planted over in South Denton and uh, the Corinth area and. We were talking about it, and he did all the finances and all that stuff. I never messed with that because I, I, I don't know what's going on, and, and you don't ever want me to touch anything uh, financial. So nevertheless, uh, he knew it. And I just found that it was better, better for me to be ignorant uh, of what was going on in that category. We had a whole finance team. And so anyway, I remember we had this guy that came, and, and uh, Brian said, look, he said, um, this guy wants to go to lunch with you. He said, I don't know if you care or not, but this guy's giving about a quarter of our budget right now. Now, that wasn't a whole lot because we only had about 8000 a month at that point. And he said, but he said, I, he's helping us a lot. And he wants to meet with you. Would you go sit down and visit with him? Said, okay, I'll go visit with him. So I go over there and go to his house and visit with him. And he said, you know, we love church. We love preaching. We love all the da-da-da-da. And I said, oh, that's great. Well, thank you. So good. He said, we just have one problem. I said, what's that problem? He said, well, we're struggling with your mission statement. Our mission statement? 
Yeah, your mission statement. Loving God with all that we are while making more and better followers of Christ. You don't like the loving God part? Oh, no, no. We like the loving God part. It's that other part that we don't like. We don't like that. We don't agree with that whole making more and better followers of Christ. We don't think that. Maybe better, but not more. Definitely not more. I was behooved. I'd never heard. I mean, this guy was, both of them, is a, a family. They're, they're both educated, grown up in church all their life. And we don't believe that the church should be about having anybody else come in. And I was just, I, I was thinking, I was waiting for him to, and the joke is, and it never came. He just had that ugly look on his face. He's looking at me the whole time like that. We don't believe that. I said, really? I said, um, what do you do with the Great Commission? Well, that wasn't for us. That was for the Jews and those people back then. Really? Really? Yeah, really. Yeah. Where did you get this new insight? He goes, oh, I don't think it's a new insight. I said, well, I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not the smartest knife on the shelf, but I'll, I'll tell you this. I, I've, I've been to school, been to seminary. I, I read a decent amount. I've never heard a credible evangelical scholar take this position. Never. Not, you know, I don't know where, they go, where you find one either by that one. He goes, well, no, it's just kind of what we've learned and we think we're right. I said, well, I'll tell you what, here's what I'd like you. I'd like for you to go and find some scriptural evidence for that, that the church uh, should only be for believers and that um, you should not seek to try to bring anybody else in. That it's, you know, God gives you that body. That's what you're to focus on. Which, by the way, goes back to that mentality we were talking about. And this is, guys, this wasn't in the, the first century. This was about, this was eight years ago. And so I said, I, I challenge you to find somebody. Well, I get a call that night from his wife. He goes, I'd just like you to know that we called our pastor in Alabama. And I love Alabama. It's a great state. I don't have anything against Alabama. I'm from Louisiana. So if you're from Alabama, that, that's fine. I got relatives in Alabama. That's, that's all great. Uh, we called our pastor in Alabama, and he said that church is supposed to be for the Christian family, and that's the purpose of it. Well, I thought, well, let's just get rid of 2,000 years of history and the Bible and everything and follow, follow everybody to Alabama. Let's all go to Alabama and start a compound out there. I had nothing to say. I said, well, God bless you. Uh, this, is our, this is the mission. This is one Jesus gave, so I think it's going to be good enough for us. I think we'll just go with that one, and you go with yours. And so they did go with theirs somewhere. I don't know where they went. Uh, they took their money and left, okay? And, but can I tell you this? I am so glad that happened. I am so glad that happened. And I think God blessed us through that process. Can you imagine if you start to, to listen to that? You start to change your mission. And that's, that's the danger of when you let heresy, when you let feelings, and when you let thoughts and you get desires influence your doctrine. The mission of the church is this, is that Jesus said, as we read earlier, I just got to read it to you one more time, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. go and make disciples and baptize them. Go into the world and preach the good news to all creation. Repent and forgiveness of sins will be preached. Repentance and forgiveness of sin will be preached in all the nations. As I have sent you, so I will, as I've sent, uh, excuse me, as I have been sent, so am I sending you. Jesus, in each of the Gospels, makes the mission abundantly clear to us. The question is, will we do it? Or will we be sidelined by a false doctrine, by a false feeling, by our own selfish desires? He tells the church of Thyatira, hold on 
until I come to you. Those who have remained true to my word, to my mission, to him who overcomes and does the will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter and he will dash to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give him the morning star. That's a reference to Christ Jesus. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the question becomes, what kind of church are we going to be? Are we going to be on mission? Do we really believe that our highest calling in life is to love God? As he said in the greatest commandments, in the way we summarize it, with all that we are, with our hearts, our minds, our souls, all that we are. Do we really believe that we are to go, therefore, and to teach and to preach and to make disciples and to see them baptized, have them come into the kingdom? Is that the mission that we'll be about as church? Is that the mission that you believe is the primary purpose that you exist in order that you might glorify God? Or do you say, no, well, ministry, that's the primary purpose. And again, ministry is important, but ministry is a part of the mission. When ministry becomes your purpose, then you've taken a step away from the mission. You see, Jesus healed people in order that God might be glorified and men might be drawn to Him. You see, Jesus reached out to people and He loved people so that God might be glorified and they might be drawn to Him. That's the mission. The ministry is not why we do it. It's what we do as a part of the mission. But I'm gonna, I just think we need to get rid of a lot of those people who curse and watch bad shows on TV and read bad books and say things that I... We need to be more moral. That doesn't change anybody's life. If I haven't experienced Jesus Christ and His fullness and His transformation, then I will operate in my flesh and it will be a complete turn off to everybody. When I become a legalist, when I become a moralist, And from there, it's easier to go into maintenance mode. Hey, it's us. I don't want anybody else in this church. This is the size I like right here. Matter of fact, I I wish some of these people would leave because I want to put my Bible down right here without somebody being next to me. Makes me mad. Because I'm in maintenance mode. It's about me, 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 me. If somebody says mission, whoop, then God didn't call me to missions. It just kind of goes right over our head. And that's the next step, the monument. And here's the sad reality. This is the normal progression of churches. It's not if it will happen, it is when it will happen. How many churches do you know in this area from 200 years ago? 100 years ago? 50 years ago? How many of you do you know? That's just the harsh reality. How many of the churches that we're studying about exist today? That's the natural progression. I'll go into ministry, I'll go into legalism, I'll go into maintenance, I'll go into, it's a monument. What about you, Christian? Would you be qualified or characterized as a Christian who's on mission? Is that how you would be identified? If I ask your wife, your husband, people at work, people in church for that matter. Here's a question for you. 
Who are you praying for right now to come to Christ that doesn't know Christ? Who are you praying for daily? Do you know the neighbors on your right and your left? Oh, now that's not fair. Okay. But I think Jesus is asking that question. If this is really our mission, who are you praying for? Let me ask you another question. What does it cost you today to follow Christ? What does it cost you? Does it cost you anything? I don't just mean financially. I mean that too, but not just financially. Does it cost you anything to follow Christ? I can tell you it was costing these folks. You know, it cost every church until you get to Sardis. There's no reproof given. In the, it's, it appears there's no persecution. There's no persecution for monument churches. Nobody ever persecutes them. They just got a beautiful building. We're just in here. Got a lot of room. We don't do anything. We just come in here and it's about us. Nobody ever persecutes that church. What happens is they all die and then that's the end of it. Okay? These are the churches that are getting persecuted. And he's trying to address that. He's saying, you know what? God forbid the day that you're not persecuted. That it doesn't cost you. Because you will no longer be on mission. I said I was going to preach today. And I encourage you to go and learn more background. Thyatira was probably the least of the cities. But the bottom line is this. What mission are you about? What mission will our church be? What purpose will our church be about? Five different purposes we can adopt. Which one we'll adopt? I will tell you. For me and my house, we want to serve the Lord and we want to be about the mission of the church of loving God with all that we are while making more and better followers of Christ. We want to be about, last night I, I saw those who had been, matter of fact, it wasn't even all of them. There was about six or seven people who weren't in that, we didn't have pictures for who were baptized in the last six or seven months. I was looking at my, my eyes were just watering. I was just thinking, God, thank you for letting me be a part of a church that's impacting the community and impacting the world. And God, Please don't ever let us stop. Don't let us lose our focus. Father, I pray that we would be on mission as a church. And God, you would protect us and guard our hearts from ever losing focus of what you have called us to be and what we would be about. And that's to love you while our heart, soul, and mind. And to make more and better followers of Christ. And Lord, I pray. That as believers in Christ, as followers of Christ, we would see our life as the mission for which you have given us. Lord, I pray uh, that we would begin to pray and ask you to open up the doors of the hearts of those around us whom you've given us influence on. That we might see them come to know you in a real and life transforming way. Lord, I want to thank you for all of those who trusted you this year and who have followed in believers baptism. God, to your name be praised, and to God be the glory. We praise you. In your name I pray.